All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. Uh, for all the links, for all the things, you can find us at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Uh, to support the ministry, you can find us over on Patreon. And last but certainly not least, if you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. And so now we're on this voyage of getting a chance to open the floor up to different voices, to be able to hear different voices, to be able to engage different people. And this week, I've got my friend Josh on here. And we are a part of the same. We both, we're both a part of uh, systematic ecology. Um, and we've had the opportunity to get to know each other over the course of the last several months that we've been doing this project together. And there's been a couple of us that have kind of banded together in sorts because it's one of those things that when you when you do this whole pilgrimage long enough, when you do this whole ministry thing, this whole Christian thing, do this whole life thing long enough, you tend to figure out that there are some people that just speak the same language as you. And it's so nice when you're able to find people who speak the same language. So Josh, go ahead and tell the people a bit about yourself. Um, I'm a guy, you know? Hey, I, uh, <laughs> first off, I gotta say, I, one of my favorite things about guessing on other shows is when you, you hear the intro and stuff done and you're like, I've listened to this show. So it's like, I'm, I'm living this thing that I've heard, you know, like, it's crazy. I always love those moments. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I guess I'm a fourth year biblical study student at North Greenville university. Sorry if that sounds rehearsed. I say that way more often than I would like to. Um, I, I don't know what I would call myself right now. Uh, born and raised Pentecostal. I think I still consider myself Pentecostal, but I'm attending a Lutheran church right now. So it's kind of kind of an odd place to be um when i was in charleston i both attended a pentecostal church and we did our own sort of home church with it as i couldn't quite bring myself to fully leave the institutional church but i also love that format so i'm sure we'll have a lot of fun conversations about what the differences of all these kind of churches are and if they matter do they matter um i like i said i grew up pentecostal um a big part of that for me, was being told all these other things about all these other churches, how Baptists believe in once saved, always saved, so they go around sinning all the time, and how Catholics only worship Mary, they don't even know who Jesus is, and <laughs> just crazy stuff, and I'm not exaggerating. I've heard these things said my whole life. Um, I went to a public university, was exposed to all kinds of things. Um, I'm a guy who loves free food, and most churches offer free food, so I ended up visiting a lot of churches and realizing, man... I've been just told some really wrong stuff about you guys. Um, I had a... I'm trying to see. I don't know how, how this phrase lands with people, if most people know this phrase. But I had sort of a dark night of the soul kind of deal. Um, I desperately tried to leave the faith for a while. I did my best to come up with some solid reasons. And I'm the kind of person that I have to be able to intellectually justify it. 
And I kept running into the problem of, it really seems like this is just your emotions. I mean, being like, oh, you'll find a smart reason to leave the faith. You'll do it. <laughs> Never found it. Um, I got into a terrible car accident, a bunch of stuff. God eventually just kind of knocked me down a little bit. And through all of those experiences, I came back to the church. Um, I started an online ministry for a while. I ended up stepping on some toes there uh had to leave ministry for a while and my response to that wanted to be anger and let's address the church and take down these people for all these reasons and the more i looked at it the more i realized the actual answer is coming together and then all those other loose ends from my story with hearing these things aren't true about other churches with realizing we kind of have to show each other a little bit more grace the realizing that everything that I learned while I was trying to disprove the faith that it just kind of came together to kind of a passion for church unity, um, which is where we get my podcast, the whole church podcast and all of the stuff that I'm trying to do today. Oh, community. So you guys just heard this man's story. So I'm sure you all can figure out exactly why we get along. Um, Oh, there's so much there and even stuff that I that I didn't even know about you. So over the last, oh, guys, what's it been? Two and a half years, give or take. Um, the community has listened to me mature as a Christian in real time. It's this unique position that I've been in that I've very much got saved and in pretty quick fashion, a whole lot of things ended up lining up that I ended up in front of the microphone, very wet behind the ears as a Christian, having heard all of the churchiosity stuff, had it, having heard all of that kind of stuff, but ended up in front of the microphone actually with this relationship. And so um, there's so much of what you said that resonates with me but the context for me was 2020 all of the nonsense and and circumstance and situation and all of that kind of stuff that was exactly the road the, the road that i went to you know me you know i'm a fighter i i'll i i love a good fight and so that was my instinct when it came to all of that was okay i need somebody to fight and so i took my i took my sights to the church and all of that kind of stuff until god very gradually because he's full of grace um has shown me that i was going about it the wrong way i became another barking voice in the ether another you know you all y'all just need to be doing this in order to get it right sort of thing and realize that exactly what you said that this whole thing hinges on unity our unity with God, our unity with each other, with each other through the spirit, right? You know, you look at the kingdom, it's literally based and built around this whole idea of unity amongst God's people, which is exactly what caught my attention about the whole church podcast. When I first came, came across you guys, you know, there's... So often in our space, and I don't mean this, 
you know, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all love of, among, among my fellow broadcasters and podcasters and all of that kind of stuff. So if any of you guys listening fall into this, ca- this category that I'm about to describe, I, I mean, nothing but respect. It's so often that you hear tell your story types of shows in our section of the podcasting world that to hear that, but geared around Let's go ahead and have conversation among the saints, right? Let's not, you know, we may not agree on everything. And just because I have you on my show doesn't mean that I agree with everything that you said, but we can still have open dialogue and conversation. That, that's a beautiful thing because that's the very thing that we're seeing change the world, you know? Yeah, I, I would say with like 95% confidence I talk to more people I disagree with on my church on my show than I do agree with. Um, but that's the nature of what you do. Um, I, I don't think, and it's funny cause I actually, I got a lot of criticism for this early on for having certain people on and this and that. And I don't think, especially we got a lot of criticism for talking about dividing the topics. Like uh, we, we had a few episodes about the LGBTQ discussions that are going on in the church today and a lot of criticisms were why are you talking about such divisive things if you're a church unity podcast and i just don't think it doesn't seem right to have a conversation about unity if you're not talking about how you get there and what's in the way you know what i'm saying like like you you don't have a superman movie and him not fight anyone (laughs) like you're not actually telling us anything about him if you do that Right, exactly. Our big thing was uh, speaking out against, or I should say about, not against, um, racial stuff and the topic of divorce were the two big ones that we kind of caught some flack for engaging in the conversation about. Um, We did an episode called Advocate Christ that um, spoke to the civil racial unrest that was happening in the country at the time. And, um, you know, just discussing how, how our unity for things like, you know, race and all of that kind of stuff is good. Unity through the spirit is great. Let's not sacrifice good for the great. Well, (laughs) you can imagine that that's not, that that's a naturally uh, emotional uh, topic that has a way that if you're not saying exactly what a person wants to hear, then you have opened the door for, like I said, that emotional response to take precedent. Same thing with divorce, right? There's so many times that you hear about these horror stories of how people are treated around that subject matter of divorce that if you're not saying exactly what people want to hear, then you're going to elicit a response out of them so but it's so funny when you when you approach these topics because there's such an immediate backlash of well why are you even talking about this why is this even a thing that you're having a conversation about because it's an aspect of our world because it's something that needs to be talked about you know what i mean i'm trying to to word all of my things carefully which we did do a black lives matter talk at one point and i got a lot of flack because 
I have a philosophy on our show where basically if I don't think it falls in one of those we're bordering against salvation kind of lines, I want the people on my show to have their say. Like, I do my best to not make it about my opinions. So I got all kinds of flack for everything everybody else said. And I'm like, well, uh, does that affect salvation? Okay, then why are you not united? Um, I, I, I have a tendency to want to focus on, when I talk about church unity, the fact that, hey, yes, it's unity, but also it's church unity. Our show is not unity in the church. It is church unity, <laughs> which means we have to establish what is the church. And a lot of that, when you live in a world where a lot of people think the church are these people who hate this race, who only vote this way, who riot against the capital, whatever it may be, you have to say something about what the church is and is not in a world where there's a lot of confusion about what it is before you can even start to talk about it being united. Right, exactly. That's And that's something I want, I want you to poke around in that as far as what is what is the church and what is that what does that look like because so often we think of the church as our four walls our group even our denomination but scripturally speaking it goes a lot wider than that i i'm trying to figure out what what answer i want to give i, I don't want to give the answer that you guys can hear on a hundred other podcasts so let me <laughs> Let me do the long way round, so to speak. Um, I am very firmly of the opinion that God's goal from the beginning has been a form of church unity, depending on what you mean by church. Um, what's funny is we, we did a discussion on our show once about what you when did the church start? Did it start with Adam? Did it start with Abram? Did it start with Jesus? Was the church always a thing? There's actually a lot of debate about that, but what I'll say is if you look at the beginning, the first command God gave was about filling the whole earth. It was about literally the whole earth. Um, you look at Noah, he gives that same command again. You go when he divides the nations or, you know, he confuses the languages and the nations get divided. What was happening at that point at Babylon where people were trying to make a name for themselves instead of God. So you all of a sudden you have this thing where, okay, not, he doesn't just want the whole earth, but he wants the whole earth to be obeying him. So we have this establishment of what God wants is everyone united, but in his name, not making a name for yourself. Um, the story of the Tower of Babel comes in the middle of the genealogy of Shem. Shem literally means to make a name for. That is not a coincidence. <laughs> um, as you go through, every time you see Babylon, they're always about themselves, making a name for themselves. How do we establish the power of man? And a lot of the story of the Old Testament is God's people versus the Babylonians. God's people versus the people who are about themselves, right? And what you see throughout the Old Testament is God wants to choose the whole earth. They shun him. God chooses Israel. They shun him. God chooses the tribe of Judah. They shun him. God chooses... David's lineage, they shun him. The Bible ends with the, the Old Testament ends with the word curse. It ends with a curse. It might not be the word curse. It's curse or death, something like that. New Testament starts, all of a sudden you open a new genealogy with Jesus, 
who was meant to open it back up to all of these other nations. Um, Michael Heiser does a series on his podcast, the Naked Bible Podcast, where he goes through the book of Acts and shows how all of these people who rejected God from Judah to Israel, uh, then to all these other nations, the book of Acts is Paul and these other apostles going to people who represent all of those other nations that were dropped out throughout the Old Testament. The entire story arc of the Bible is God calling people into unity with him. And I'll challenge you this. There's nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a personal savior. And when God does talk about salvation, he puts it in context of God died for, he sent his son for the whole earth, right? Um, even a lot of people like to use the, um, I think it's in Philippians where it says, work out your own salvation. And then you look at all of the words surrounding, you look at the Greek that's talking there, and all of the words for you are plural. Um, he talks about how you are the children of God, plural. It says that all of you, uh, that whole passage there is working your salvation out together. Um, he, he, I think it's even the same sentence, talks about bickering among yourselves. It is about being the church. That is what salvation is primarily about. A, your relationship with God, and B, the church. You can't separate the two. So, that's the long answer. <laughs> you know, we are called to go out, make disciples, right? We're, go, we're called to go out, spread the word. We're called to active participation that pushes forward the kingdom of God in various forms and functions and, and ways and things like that. But it's this whole idea of continuing to advance the kingdom, to continue to advance the gospel, to continue to advance the number of people who come into relationship with God. And then at the same token, you have a God that has the ability to have unique relationships with individuals, but all part of the same kingdom, the same unity that man can create. We've proven that. We've proven that we can't create any of this kind of, I'll say supernatural unity. You know what I mean? I know that's something, that's a word that some people get very uncomfortable with. And I think part of that is because I think we, we, we as humans compartmentalize the natural from the supernatural. But that same compartmentalization doesn't exist for God. Um, have, have you ever read uh, Francis Chan? Well, do you read Francis Chan books? Um, I always joke that Brendan Manning did it first and did it better. But yes, I have read some of his stuff. Okay. I, he has um, Forgotten God. I really enjoy that book. And what's funny is even as a Pentecostal, it challenged me because he's like, uh, we say we believe in this all-powerful supernatural God. And we do a lot of saying things are impossible or that we can't do things. And it's funny because it's one of those things you hear a lot, but the way he worded it made me realize I do do that a lot. It is actually kind of absurd for me to say um, the time I was reading it, this is maybe too Pentecostal for your listeners. I don't know. We'll find out. I, <laughs> I had read it after my accident, having me told I may never run again. I might not hike again. I did hike at that point. I made it to the top of the mountain and I accepted I'm able to hike and I'll never be able to run. And I get to the top of this mountain and I'm reading this book and going, wow, it's really absurd that I just accepted I'll never run again. <laughs> and naturally, I then proceeded to run through the path 
because I was like, I bet I can do this. I bet God healed me. And then I did it. <laughs> um, which hopefully that's not, you know, freaking anybody out. But I, I do think there's a level of we have to. The Spirit will not give us everything we want all of the time. That is not how the Holy Spirit works. No matter what denomination or anything you say, that's not what anybody is saying. But there is a level of kind of absurd doubt over what God can do. And I cannot tell you how many times we have been interviewing people for the whole church podcast. Like It's not like you don't go in knowing what the show's about. <laughs> Where the answer is, well, that's how it is, or... Well, you know, we'll never see the church really fully united. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what God you serve, but uh, <laughs> if he can't unite his own people, when that was the prayer of Jesus while he was on earth, it was what's God, I forget how many times it's brought up in the New Testament, but it's, it's one of those, he says that's how salvation will be known to the world, and yet God can't make it happen. Is that really what we're saying we believe? <laughs> It's fascinating when you consider what kind of limitations as human beings that we have a tendency to put on God. It becomes laughable when you're the type of person who has walked through something miraculous. A miraculous come to Jesus moment, an accident that should have killed you, a sickness that should have killed you. You know what I mean? Like that, these are all things that require i'll go as far as to say require um a supernatural as we know it response a miraculous response if you feel more comfortable using that word you know what i mean but we still even though we are subjects of this extent of grace this extent of of miracle we can still get caught up in the temporal. We can still get caught in the caught up in the material, and not be able to see the forest through the trees. You know what I mean? And that's there's no condemnation in that because I I very purposefully use language that includes myself too. This is something that I've been considering as I've been going back through the Old Testament. There are some people in the Old Testament. Well, there are some people in the Bible that if you look to what is commonly taught. It's almost like they're taught like they're the bad guy, like they're the they're the 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 village fool uh, in the situation. And, you know, they are presented in this way like, oh, that that would never be me. Uh, boiled down circumstance and situation. Those are things that we do on a regular basis today. It just looks different because it's today. You know what I mean? Yeah, I. <laughs> Just to build on what you say, to give really specific examples, because I've thought about this a lot. Um, the, the amount of times I've heard people, you know, when you're going through like the Exodus story and it's like, it's only been 40 days. How can Israel already turn? I'm like, I have been a part of a uh, church camp ministry for many, many years. And I know for a fact, these kids come, get saved or on fire for God in June, July. And then the first month of school happens, you know, that 40 days, it's done, guys. <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm not saying those kids, I was that kid at one point too. And it's like, it's a regular yearly occurrence for a lot of people. Um, going back to picking on myself with the mountain example, right? I, in my, in the accident, whenever, um, we met with the other guy's lawyer, the other guy's lawyer said it was a miracle. I was alive. That is not something you admit unless you have to. <laughs> and yet I miraculously live and I'm like, oh yeah, no, but I'll never run. It, it's honestly like it's comedic that I, I could believe the one thing and not the other. 
and it's almost like you know and and i say this a little tongue-in-cheek knowing that you and i both have struggled with with brain damage related things but it's almost like you forget you know what i mean like what have you done for me lately sort of thing yeah <laughs> yeah and it's um it's actually I, well, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus. I, I'm I'm supposed to get personal. It's fine. I, I um recently um be, because you know now I'm on my insurance again and I'm trying to figure out what medications and stuff I want to do for my ADHD, all that kind of stuff. And it was really funny talking to someone about this and being told that I, I should probably get tested for, uh, I forget what it was. It was a type of amnesia because, you know, he was talking about different things I could and couldn't remember from that. And I was like, huh, it just never occurred to me. <laughs> that's, that's like a whole, whole other issue. And that, that brings up a fun point. <laughs> I can't, I feel like the, the podcaster in me just can't help but to like bring questions to you. I just, I can't help myself. Um, as much as it is absurd that we can't believe in a lot of things when we say we believe in an all-powerful God, it does beg the question, when we have these mental health issues, um, when, in fact, the church is not united completely right now, why isn't it? If God is all-powerful, why, why why do we still have problems? Why doesn't he answer everything? Uh, I've I, That's a question that I wrestled with even before I became a Christian, because I was very much the the type of person that, you know, you, you keyed in on something that with what you said uh, at the beginning, what if it's all just emotion, right? The human, the human mind is a very, very powerful thing. And so you have all of these people that have these ridiculous stories, these miraculous stories. I was one of the, I ended up being one of those people, but you have all of these people that are like saved out of the clutches of death. And now you're a Christian and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you want to see a blue car, you're going to see a blue car sort of thing. And, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, so you mean to tell me there's this all knowing creator God, right? This, this God that, that stands outside of, of history and time and is all-powerful and can do all of these things that we're supposed to worship. And that and, and it's, it's built around this whole idea that, that he is all-powerful. Then why are we as human beings cannibalizing ourselves every single day? You know what I mean? Like, the, why Why is there just the depths of depravity in this world and all of that kind of stuff? And I put lyrics all, to all of that to say, like, look, if you're a Christian and you've never thought about that, then look around. You've probably found somebody, you, somebody who's thought about that. That's just something that we as Christians need to be very, very aware exists as a mentality. The, the issue is that even for people who are considered good, even for the people that we look to, that he's one of the good ones. He's a good guy. That's a that's a logical fallacy. None of us, if left to our own devices, are good. And that's some that comes from from years of walking on this earth amongst the sinners and understanding what kind of hell this world can offer on a silver platter at the hands of men 
And I put myself in that category because I know my rap sheet three miles long. I know that in the eyes of the law, the only hope that I have is in Jesus. So understand, I'm right there too. Yeah, um, a lot of it is intellectually hard. And I, I think the worst thing that people in the church do, I won't, won't, say, I won't say could do because we, we do this. And I say we, I have probably been guilty. The worst thing we do is when we dismiss those questions. I I despise that. Um, and, and one of the most, I think, helpful, comedical, ironic things. I, I read a ton of C.S. Lewis. It's just, I have, for longer than I remember, there have been more C.S. Lewis books on my bookshelf than there have been in the bookstore. Because I, just, that's just who I am, for whatever reason. It is so sweet to read first his book the problem of pain before he loses his wife uh, then read a grief observed when he loses his wife because in the problem of pain he even theorizes what he would do or be like in if some of these traumatic things happen and then in, when it happens and he does exactly those things that he said he might think <laughs> you're like uh buddy <laughs> did you did you read this other book that you <laughs> read wrote you know and Man, we're all guilty of this, and I, I want to say it's in—I want to say it's in mere Christianity, but I'm not sure. Um, there is a line where he says it is—I'm not going to try and quote it. I'm just going to summarize it. He basically says it's honorable if you seriously question your faith and you're thinking through: Does this thing make logical sense or not? The essence of what faith is, though is when it's your emotions and stuff that's making you question choosing what you decided when you were of sound mind, choosing that faith over your emotions. That's what faith is, according to Lewis. Um, I don't think that's what faith is, but I definitely think it's something that faith is capable of and something you... I think it's a valid point, is what I'm trying to say. Don't think it's a good definition, but a valid point. <laughs> well, that's such an ambiguous sort of sort of thing to try and nail down to a definition and all of that we just got out of doing the how-to's and it's just a series of like the fundamentals right how to salvation how to pray how to not miss the messiah all of those kinds of things and it's so fascinating when you boil a lot of these things down to their basic level right how much we overcomplicate it are you you know i i I've been doing this show for the last two and a half years. And there's been, I didn't realize we had all of these different, like when I first started, I knew about the denominations. I thought I understood. And then I've been slowly exposed to all of these different titles. And man, we are a group of people that likes to put titles. Are you a four point this or a five point that? Are you an 87 star this? Or are you like, come on, man. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, we are humans that we are not, we are in this world, but not of this world. The second that we became, that we entered into this relationship, we became no longer of this world, right? And 
in the process of reconciling that, I think we lose sight of the whole human part. And by human, I mean there are everyday emotions that we have to contend with as human beings. There's sin and there's temptation. There's intellectual doubt, right? And that's something that we need to be willing to address these questions, these issues, and different things like that. Yes, there are some aspects of it that I think are very... Uh, you can paint with broad with broad strokes, right? But at the same token, there is nuanced nature to it. When you consider what reconciles easily with certain people and what doesn't, we need to be aware of that and understand that what hangs me up, right? I might be able to very easily off the tip of my tongue talk about how bad people are, about how depraved humanity is, and not about how easily evil comes to humanity and things like that. For somebody else, that might be a hard logic problem, that how can a perfect being create an imperfect thing? And not addressing that opens the door for people to have doubts that just simmer and fester or to find information in the wrong places or to deconstruct, which is this dirty word that it's the boogeyman that everybody's been, it seems like everybody's been talking about for the last couple of years. But the deal is, is like, I, I really think that deconstruction is a very, very healthy process. As long as what you're analyzing and what you're combing through and what you're actually considering is the gospel not this other thing that you know you inherited from your parents or your pastor or you've heard a church or these bad man-made concepts but is the actual gospel because what you're doing then is you are dissecting the thing that you believe in to figure out why you believe in it and that's a very powerful thing yeah i um I heard once, it's a quote from, from a book I like. I'm trying to remember what the book is, but it says to die to yourself daily. Uh, it might it might have been the Bible. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I am a firm believer that you should deconstruct daily. I've had several moments in my life that were huge deconstruct. I have a deconstruct playlist on Spotify that are just all these like really get in your head kind of songs. But um, I, I will, because I don't want to be the person who asks this question, throws this conversation out and doesn't put my perspective out because I feel like that's, probably a little unfair i will say um the bible says god is love i believe that means god is relational and you cannot be relational without some level of free will and with free will comes sin with sin comes consequences and that is why there is bad things in the world um free will is a good thing that might lead to bad things i don't understand why i don't understand why bad things necessarily have to come but i do understand it's from our decision and some of that's just going to be above my pay grade um i, I will tell you for me personally I, I told you guys i had a dark night of the soul where i tried my best to disprove the faith and here's what i've learned about me and how i relate to the bible and how a lot of people i know who relate to the bible how, how it works for them um you first read it and you either go oh this is just supernatural whatever and you dismiss it or you first read it and you're like oh hey this is the answer happy sunshine flower jesus salvation some people manage to stay in happy sunshine jesus salvation forever and that is great for them i'm glad some of us are more cynical <laughs> some of us deal with bad things afterwards have these dark nights afterwards and it's not all sunshine and rainbows 
Um, and when I look at it again, then I start seeing inconsistencies. I start seeing things that look like, oh, okay, it contradicts itself here. I can point to, um, I don't know the exact passages, but in Exodus, there is a um, sacrifice that God tells the Israelites to do where it says, okay, do it. Just whatever you do, don't smoke it. You can offer it any way other than through smoke. And then in Deuteronomy, he says, hey, when you do the sacrifice, only smoke it. <laughs> and you're like, okay, but what, which one is it? And when you're cynical, you're going through that second time, and you're seeing these things, and you're saying, oh, I got it. I got them. <laughs> and I could have left it there, but that's just not the kind of person I am. I have to verify that I'm right. <laughs> so then I start getting these books on how to read the Bible. Hermeneutics played a huge part in why I actually ended up sticking around, because then I'm realizing, oh, I'm not even reading this thing right. And then once you start reading it, how it's meant to be read that's what really changed my life and that's when i became a whole new person because i was like i didn't even really know what the bible said it turns out i had read it even before then i had read it like at least two times a year all the way through that particular year i read it all the way through once a month because i'm really trying to disprove this thing and then all of a sudden i learned that i'm reading it wrong and oh oh i had no idea what it was saying i had read it 12 times this year it's interesting how wide yet similar the deconstruction stories and the necessity for verification stories, um, how, how wide but similar they are. And also, the old saying goes, right, hindsight is twenty twenty. You can look through the lens of history a lot of time, and if you're willing to see it, you can see little Easter eggs throughout your life of times where God, I guess, intervened. You know what I mean? I guess is a good way of putting it. And I don't just mean it in like the radical, like God saved me from this thing, but like put me in, in contact with a particular person or set me down a particular path or whatever like that. Like just little things that absolutely ended up becoming parts of a much bigger picture. And by that, I mean, you know, I, I, for me, it was history, right? History was the thing that helped cement the whole God thing in my life. I had always heard about the whole relational thing. I had heard about these kinds of things. I had had that experience even before I was actually a Christian. When I was doing the whole, you know, uh, knowing when to raise my hand thing, when I was playing the character, it was all you know yeah this all makes sense you know it's all head knowledge it's all you know it wasn't even legalistic it was it was very relational as you would it's why where i first came into contact with like words like kingdom and stuff like that and i walk away i have this supernatural moment i liken it to where jesus puts the flag down the cement that holds the flag in place is all apologetics you know what I mean? I still couldn't, I, me, in my cynical nature, I couldn't take it for face value that I didn't have some kind of psychological break when I had my come to Jesus moment. You know what I mean? I was in such a dark place that maybe my brain uh, fabricated this experience that I had and gave me something that I really needed for my own brain's sake and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going down the rabbit hole. So I'm like, you know what? Okay. This book that I've bought into makes a lot of claims 
let's go ahead and try and start verifying some of them. So I started with the cross. And I figure if the cross can be verified, a whole lot about this book suddenly makes sense. And I went on from there and, and realized how much historical evidence there is and how much that, you know, how, how much verification there is throughout history and then ended up at this point of, okay, I've got this mountain of evidence in front of me, but I still need to make an active choice to believe it. I, I hope you're okay with me mentioning this. There is a book by a Muslim man who is a religious scholar. He is Reza Aslan. And he writes the book, uh, I want to say it's Jesus of Nazareth, or something like that. Um, if you look up Reza Aslan and then type Jesus book, it will come up. <laughs> um, but I, I personally feel like it is just one of the greatest testaments to the truths of Christianity that this man goes through, and he disagrees with the Bible a lot, actually. He's going through the history, all these different things that he found, saying this says this, this says this. Then he gets to the point where Jesus is right, raises again. And he's like, listen, the history does not make sense unless something like this happened. There, like, And he's lining up what the Romans did. He's lining up what everybody did in history, lining up what the book said. And he just says, there's something happened at this point that no one else has ever been able to claim before this point. And history doesn't make sense without it. <laughs> and that's from a historian. That's from someone of a different religion who, by all means probably wants to deny that it happened and it's just like um yeah this doesn't make sense unless it happened some way somehow <laughs> yeah um that's the beautiful thing about this particular subject you look at jesus and there is not a single other person in mankind's history that has had a bigger impact on life society art culture, music, so on and so forth. If you medicine, if you look at these different aspects of society, you can't find a more influential figure throughout mankind. And exactly it. Like there comes a point where there, there are certain aspects of this whole conversation that just simply don't make sense without there being some kind of miraculous aspect to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And l let me clarify. Um, he does not, in his book, claim that Jesus raised from the dead. He just points out that history doesn't make sense at this point. And he points out what was claimed wasn't claimed before this. So, yeah, d don't expect that. Um, and if you are a Christian and you read it, I will say now it will challenge you a lot to read through your Bible and you will find things that... You have read and did not realize that you were like, I read this. How did I not notice that the Bible says this? It's a very challenging book if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it's also very challenging when you get to that point. Um, I, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to being being a Pentecostal, go back to to <laughs> to some things. Um, so First Corinthians twelve through fourteen is all the spiritual stuff. It's all of the Paul's talking about the gifts of the spirit. And he says, we'll all speak in tongues. No, not everyone will. We'll all do this. No. First Corinthians 13, everybody knows. He's in the middle of talking about the gifts of the spirit. And he says, hey, uh, everything's useless if you don't have love. Well, that is the context for First Corinthians 13. If anyone is wondering, that's what that's about. First Corinthians 14 comes around and he's talking about, um, he basically says prophecy is the coolest gift. And it's, 
that's a that is my summary of what Paul's saying. He says prophecy is really cool. You should all try that out. Um, he doesn't say everyone should try it out, um, but uh, let me preface that prophecy in the New Testament and prophecy in the Old Testament a lot of the times mean two different things. A prophet in the Old Testament, there's very clear guidelines for what you had to be to be a prophet, and it's all about telling the future. The Greek word for prophet when he's talking here is a lot more uh, revelator kind of deal. Like you're revealing things, you are possessing knowledge, you are making sense of scripture kind of deal. Um, and I just bring all that up because I don't like to talk about things without some context because I feel like that's rude of me. First <laughs> um, Corinthians 14, 29, he says, have two or three prophets speak and have the others pass judgment. I wanted to bring that up because when we're talking about these things of faith and how do we know what we know, why do some things happen, some things not happen, you have to discern these things. Some things have to be revealed, and when they are, it cannot be one person saying, hey, this is the answer. It cannot be you by yourself saying, I have figured it out. It is, again, it is about the church coming together, a few people prophesying and in this sense we mean people who are revealing what the word means and everyone else judging whether or not they were faithful to it it is not just a hey right now i had an emotion and now i know what this means if that is how you were doing church you're not doing church that's just my two cents um i think it's a really helpful if you just hold each other accountable engage in the kiss of the spirit and really think Really, the accountability thing. I think that's the big thing when you're coming to these questions of faith and what is and is not real. And why some things do or do not happen. Yeah, there's an unfortunate aspect to how free the market is nowadays on different voices and different... Um, interpretations and different takes on scripture and truth and different things like that because if i the second that i give you my interpretation that's that's an imp, that's being filtered through an imperfect source just the reality right and if there's one person to go back to this whole idea of it being a one person show if it is a one person show and it's one person having this grand this grand thing than this grand revelation, this grand prophecy, if you will. And it's unchecked. And this is just getting disseminated out to, I'm going to say the masses, but it doesn't have to be a large amount of masses, any group of people, then it hasn't been tested. It hasn't been tried. It hasn't been poked and prodded. And categorically throughout the Bible, it's never given that we just take Every person who steps forward and has a prophecy at face value as if they are automatically correct. You know what I mean? But that also requires something of us to understand what truth is and to understand what the scriptures say. So that way, when we have um, when when we have these different instances that happen, we can test it against scripture and we can be we can stand confident in what is truth. Yeah, and um, I, I don't – I'm going to put this in context of those who are going to a building for their church services and doing kind of a more formal worship service 
Y'all can't see the air quotes, I don't think, but there's air quotes with that kind of deal. Um, when you are sitting in and your pastor is revealing the word, that is what Greek word prophecy is. Whether he's supernaturally doing it or not is a different story. That verse then implies that it is everyone sitting there's duty. The others will judge. Meaning it is your duty, once you hear the word delivered and explained, to then read the word and determine if he was faithful to it. You don't... It's This sit down and watch is not an option if you're going to be part of the church. When we are seeing more decline and destruction than we are fruitful growth, there's something wrong. There's, sim there's, there's something wrong with the system. And yes, there is a level of we're all humans, that we're all going to have our bad takes and we don't want to point to the countless ways that man can get this wrong but at the same token part of pointing to god is stating what it is that we are called to be and do and how we are called to act and how we are called to be a part of this entire organism and and it comes to, down to yeah sure we 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 want to point to God, but part of pointing to God is the rallying cry of the saints to stand up and to take ownership of the relationship that you have with God in all of its rights, privileges, but also catch this responsibilities that are associated with that thing. And to stand up and to be an active participant as we are called to be, that's scriptural. Yeah. Um, you get into the, the cloudy area with this is I, I don't want to say that your pastor is not more qualified than you, right? You might confront him and say, hey, the Bible says this, and he might explain it, and it might actually be that you misunderstood. But I do think you need to have those conversations. Um, I think a lot of the time their education is helpful. Um, I think spirit of discernment is equally helpful if you're praying and both things are necessary. Both things are necessary for each congregation to consider. You know, you need to have your scholars. You need to have your spiritually adept people who are just discerning. Um, I, I'll throw the other caution with this is I see a lot of times where we talk about biblical inerrancy, right? And sola scriptura, only the Bible. And the Bible is completely without error, without any fallity. And then you, you hear those people who talk about that get through the first three chapters of the Bible in Genesis, and you realize that part of what you mean with inerrancy a lot of times is your own interpretation. That's dangerous. You need to make sure when you're talking about the Bible never fails, you mean the Bible and not your interpretation of the Bible. It's okay to have your interpretation. Just be careful that you're not equating it to Scripture. Right. How each one of us relates to God will be unique. What stands out in different times at different situations will be a unique journey through scripture. But as long as it's through the context and lens of scripture, through the context and lens of truth and what we know to be true about the character of God. Absolutely. 
And I think sometimes that gets looped in with legalism, that if we are holding holding firm to truth, then that must mean that we are being legalistic. But the problem is, is there is a line somewhere in between being having a posture of kingdom and community and things like that, but also understanding what is true and what is right and what is what the Bible does and does not say. Legalism is a whole other discussion, but <laughs> I will I will briefly put my my two cents on that is uh, let's see Galatians five one my favorite scripture and it says Jesus died well he didn't it doesn't say Jesus died but it says um, it is for freedom he set us free and in context he's talking about Jesus's death um, he died and rose again so that we could be free and he wanted us to be free for freedom's sake and when you look at the, how quickly the fruit of the spirit come after that. I will say freedom first. Um, if you're being accused of legalism, if you're worried that you're doing legalism, there, there's a chance you might be. And I think that that is sinful. However, all of the good things in the Bible should also be what you're doing, but you shouldn't be doing them because you think you have to do them. If you don't want to do the right things, there's a heart problem. And I think that's the issue, not whether you're doing the laws or not. It's do you want to do the right things? Well, I, I agree, and that's something that... I, you look at the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes, when read in a certain context, can be all things that man can strive to be. If you strive to be those things, then by worldly standards even, by most worldly standards, you are considered to be a good person. But the problem is, is that striving for those things out of your own strength gives you a human aspect of it gives you the the boiled down version that even at some point has its flaws when you enact with god when you engage in that relationship it's an if then statement if you are in communion with god if you are in the kingdom, if you are spending time with God, if you have a part of this relationship, then all of these things. Yeah. And it does not work the other way around. It is not, if you're doing all these things, then you're in the kingdom. That That's not how that works. Nope. You can have all of the things, you can have all of the rituals, you can have all of the laws and the routines and all of it. You can literally have... All of it except for relationship and not have God. Yeah, a really fun Bible verse. Uh, Galatians 3.10 talks about, uh, uh, again, I'm paraphrasing. I did not expect to use this verse. Forgive me. Um, basically, Paul says, striving to do the law will bring a curse. <laughs> so you trying to do the right things is how you will be cursed. Um, and then I think it's two verses later, he basically says, Christ took your curse. So you're trying to do the right things. It, it won't work. That, that's the moral of the story. <laughs> um, I, I did want to say, because going back to church unity, because I, I feel like if I'm on a show, I have to end with church unity at some point. Um, when we're looking at not placing your interpretation as equal to scripture, when we're looking at all these things, that, that is how we have unity is when we, we take the Bible first, that's our groundwork. And we realize all the other things are questionable. We can all be wrong about them. And in the end, 
Um, and th- this is this is an interesting piece of history about my church that I, I don't I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get the details wrong. But more or less, um, the church I grew up in was called Church of God of Prophecy because at one point, someone who split off from the Church of God believed this was the church that the Revelation prophesied about. This is not what the church believes right now, by the way. <laughs> But that is how the name sort of came around, something like that. I'm spitballing. I might have gotten something wrong with it. But it's generally that was the idea. But when you look at the book of Revelation, it does not say that he prepared a bride, and that bride was specifically the Lutheran church, specifically home churches, specifically Presbyterian churches. Um, To quote one of our earlier creeds, Um, The Bride of Christ is the one holy, universal, apostolic church. It is the church that is united. It is the church that is pursuing righteousness, doing well in the world, and is universal. He's not going to come back for one denomination, one group. And we have to figure out that united thing. Exactly. So go ahead and um, plug the things. Let people know where they can find you. Oh yeah. Um, again, I'm Joshua Knoll. Um, you can find me Instagram and Twitter and stuff, or you can find my podcast, the whole church podcast. You're more likely to get interaction with that than me just being honest with you guys. And wherever you're listening now, you can just, you know, search for the show. It's on most of the major platforms. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and we'll talk again soon.